tax deductions for pilots, turnbacks on an engine failure after takeoff, and reporting aircraft maintenance. I answer all these questions and more coming right up, so strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone, welcome to episode 35 of Flight Training Australia, the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson, thank you for joining me. So how's your week been guys? Hope you've all been flying hard. Been plenty going on up here at the Territory this week with the uh, first week just down of the AWIC, which is the Royal Australian Air Force's Warfare Instructor Course. Uh, we've got the F-35s up here and also the F-18 uh, Fs and also the EA-18Gs, the Growlers, so it's the Super Hornets and the Growlers uh, from number one of six squadrons. So good to have everyone up here, plenty of action going on, heaps of great photographic uh, opportunities and of course as well we've also got the Ospreys buzzing around as well. Later in the year, I think uh, end of July, August, we've got Operation Pitch Black which will see heaps of international uh, exercises going on of different participants coming down and uh, that'll be over about three weeks or so and usually a great open day at the airport and uh, air display over Mindel Beach so really looking forward to that as well. I'm also off to Brisbane next week uh, looking forward to heading out hopefully going to try and get out to Archerfield and Redcliffe and have a bit of a look around and hopefully meet some of you out there too so i will uh, not really sure exactly when or where it'll be on the weekends and uh, I will let you know if um, I'm heading out and hopefully run into some of you. So today's episode, we've got a couple of topics just to talk about, things that have been asked about in recent times, and the first one's to do with taxation. Now, as always, disclaimer, I am not a tax accountant, so always uh, do things properly and run it through an authorised accountant to make sure that you've got everything dotted and crossed, because I would hate for you to end up with the tax bill rather than a refund. But uh, Andrew Sandlins has sent me an email just asking about uh, tax and at what stage can a pilot start making claims for things like uh, their training, medicals and equipment. So it's a really good question, Andrew, and one uh, definitely worthy of an answer. Now, the trick with this is it depends on a lot of things. For example, I've got some private students that are claiming their flight training on tax. How so? Because they are doing it for their business. The business requires them to get a pilot's license, therefore it's a work expense, it's a tax deduction. For most of us who are studying to get our commercial pilot's license and working towards uh, getting a job, we can't start claiming things in the general sense until we are actually employed as a pilot. So that's a bit of a bummer. So things like our up to our commercial and everything else, we cannot claim. However, once you are employed as a commercial pilot, then we can start claiming things. What can you claim? Well, any training you do from there on after. Okay, so if you are a commercial pilot, get a job, you might do your initial multi-engine. You might do your night rating, you might do your instrument rating, you might do instructor rating. Right, so all of those things will be tax deductible you can claim your pilot medicals if you were to get a license wallet for your 
license a medical to put it in. You can claim that. Your headset, you could claim your headset. It's a specific work expense. You wouldn't use it in any other job, so it's a specific work equipment. And those sort of things you could also depreciate. All right, so again, this is where you might need to talk to a tax agent who will be able to settle that up for you and depreciate the cost of your headset over several years. All right, so there are things that you can claim. Um, like I said, any self-education expense, ATPL courses, um, I don't know how you go about the airfares associated with getting to it, but possibly. Um, but these are all things that you can, again, keep the receipts and talk to your tax accountant about and make a claim because it's definitely better in your pocket than the government's and then you can spend it on more flying. All right, so thanks, Andrew. Hope that helps, mate. And yeah, good luck with that one. All right, uh, next. This has been coming up a bit lately, um, today included, and I just want to talk to you about it. I've touched on it before, and this is turn backs on an engine fray after takeoff. Now, I get takeoff safety briefs um, given to me, and sometimes it will include the topic of a turn back. And what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, a turn back is simply an engine failure somewhere after takeoff on the upwind leg and an attempt to do a 180 degree reversal and come back in and land on the opposite runway direction. All right, so that's a turn back. Now, some aircraft will do this easier than others. The aircraft you're using is going to determine whether this is going to work or not. Now, you would have listened to my Take or Safety Briefs uh, episodes where I talk about single and multi-engine aircraft. This is obviously a single-engine thing. Um, so have a bit of a listen to episode 13, and I do touch base on Take or Safety Briefs and singles and the impossible turn. However, I'll get people still say, yep, I'm going to get 700 feet and turning back will be an option, or 1,200 feet and I'll get back. Well, have you ever done that before? How do you know? And the answer, generally speaking, is, well, no, I haven't. I'm just guessing. And there's your first problem. So when we're doing these things, you can't just make stuff up. You need to be absolutely certain of the performance of the aircraft and your position in relation to the field. So let me put it in a scenario. Let's just say that you're going to say 700 feet. So up to 700 feet, you can make it. All right, so just to reiterate, where are you going to get airborne on the runway? Are you rolling from the very beginning brakes release? Or, as I've seen people do recently, are you rolling forward some 50, 100 metres, leaving valuable runway behind you before you actually get going, and then take 5 to 10 seconds to actually reach full power? This is going to extend the position that you reach 700 feet, isn't it? What rate of climb are you going to use? Are you going to do a high-speed climb or are you going to really get the nose up and get their best angle, best rate? That's going to reach 700 feet closer to the airfield, giving you more chance of making it back to the field. In some aircraft, it might even mean that you make it too soon, you turn around and you're going to overshoot the thing back the other direction. All right, so these are all things that you must take into account. As I've said before, if you are a beginner, I strongly recommend 
you stick to the nose down 30 degrees either side of the runway heading and adopt a landing. All right, so just be really be thinking about that. It's going to change from aircraft to aircraft. If your glide performance is somewhere around 1,000 plus feet per minute, I think it would be pretty fair to say that you're restricted to what's in front of you. If your aircraft tends to glide around 500 feet, then you may have a chance there. But again, there's a bit of experimentation um, and good control and handling of the aircraft in order to make it happen. So just be mindful of that one. All right, and the final thing is reporting aircraft maintenance. How many of you have jumped in an aeroplane and seen a particular item that's been unserviceable and potentially for quite some time? There's a problem with reporting maintenance in aeroplanes. It tends to ground them. And if it's a commercial operation, which pretty much almost always is, that means the aircraft is no longer making money until it's fixed. And this is particularly pertinent in today's market where we're reliant on freight from overseas and it is extremely slow. Things are taking an inordinate amount of time to get processed, dispatched and arrive here in Australia, wherever we are. This is then going to affect our decision-making. Do I write this aircraft up, which in all honesty should be unserviceable, or do we keep on going and roll the dice and ignore it, or hopefully at least order the parts and then we'll deal with it when they arrive, which would probably be the better of the two. We need to be very careful when operating aircraft with known faulty equipment. There is permissible and serviceabilities. There is minimum equipment lists. All right, so there are options to fly an aircraft with unserviceable items within certain categories for a certain number of days until eventually, ultimately, it then has to be grounded, especially if it's in the charter category um, or what's form of the charter category where everything needs to be working unless we've got a MEL, which is active for the aircraft, then we meant to be grounding the aeroplane. So let's take some engine indi indications, for example. So oil temperature or pressure, something like that. It's always off the scale. It's not working. Now, we can use a line of reasoning, which is what we would do in our fault-finding process in flight. We would establish that the gauge is working, the other gauges are all matching, especially if you're in a multi-engine aircraft, and it looks like it's just that particular probe or something like that. Okay, great. We've identified it, we've landed it, and hopefully we've reported it. Now, should that go into the maintenance release? Well, yes, it should. But a lot of operators will frown at you for doing that because, again, it causes our problem of grounding the aeroplane. Some people will let you write it in the maintenance release, but you're not allowed to put US, right? They'll say that you're not an engineer or a mechanic. You're not allowed to make that determination, so you can only write in what's wrong with it. Now, I don't have a particular problem with that, as long as we're not trying to get away with operating an aircraft with uh, non-functioning equipment. The trick is, now that we've established that this particular engine instrument isn't working properly, how do we know when it is actually indicating something that we do need to be aware of? All right. If we've got a oil temperature gauge that's playing up and you go flying, 
how do you know if the engine isn't overheating, especially if you're doing a lot of engine workload things, especially like in my market, I'm doing engine failures and things, especially in up here, hot conditions. So I could potentially overheat an aircraft. Um, we sat at the holding point the other day for quite a long time on the ground. That's putting heat in an aeroplane with hardly any airflow through it. So I want my engine gauges to be accurate and reliable. All right. So if we don't report them, if we don't get them fixed, it makes life difficult for us and it's technically illegal. Now, I know there's going to be a lot of debate about that and everyone will go, yeah, well, that's all fine, but, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, but what? You're in the aircraft, you have to fly it, so you deserve to have equipment that is working. So talk to the company, get it reported, get it fixed as soon as possible. And if you're not comfortable, well, I'll leave that one up to you. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. That's it for today's episode. Remember, you can jump onto your podcast of choice, uh, either Spotify, Apple, Google. There's a whole heap of them there. And you can go back. There's 34 other episodes as of today. So go back and have a listen to all those. And again, I love hearing the feedback. I've had heaps from you lately, especially some of you um, even pointing out that I actually need to sit down and listen properly to some of the podcasts because doing it in the background isn't working. You're missing a lot of the good stuff. So thank you for all that feedback. Do I do recommend that. Jump on uh, the couch or a hammock or just somewhere nice and comfy where you can listen, take some notes, look up the regs and uh, follow me through on stuff as applicable and you'll get the most out of these uh, episodes. Remember, you can email me Info, trentrobinsonaviation.com.au. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram and also at patreon.com forward slash Flight Training Australia where you can shout me a coffee or a little bit more for uh, whatever you feel this podcast is worth to you. And that all goes towards making this show possible. So thank you to everyone who has come on board and thank you, Elliot Dodd the uh, latest Patreon member coming on board just the other week. So thank you, Elliot. All right, guys. Um, res- registrations close for the safety workshop on the 14th of June. So the uh, three days to go, the 8th, is when the registrations close. That registration for everyone in Darwin who wants to go, it's pinned on my Facebook page. You'll be able to see the link there and register. And I look forward to seeing you all when I get back from Brisbane at that conference, uh, at that workshop. All right, guys, take care. Remember the golden rule. Aviate, navigate, communicate. See you then.